Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by director and co-writer of the film Summering, James Ponzel. And I wanted to start by talking about, um, you know, writing the script with Benjamin Percy, who is your co-writer, and just tonally how you really found the voice of this film, because it it creates this really beautiful amalgamation between the nostalgia of childhood, but also very adult themes and, and that space that these kids are growing up and entering into into the world in terms of the things that they see and know and understand. And, and so how did the two of you approach finding the voice of the film, given in mind that those are two very different tones that you're bringing together. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, I mean, it, I think for me, it started by being a parent. <laughs> I, have, I have three kids and um, the, the conversations that we have um, sort of inform so much of, I think, the way I see stories and the way I see stories that are certainly centered um, around the subjectivity of a child's experience um, and the sort of the attempts between parents and children to um, articulate the world around them and to sometimes not connect and not see things the same way are something that are very <laughs> personal to me because I'm living it. My wife also works at a middle school slash high school. So just every year there's a new batch of 11 and 12 year olds that come into her life and my life. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think the themes in the story are things that I've been um I think exploring for a long time. Someone pointed out to me the other day that my thesis film in grad school, which I'd forgotten about, was about a single mother and her daughter. The mother was played by Ginny Garofalo. So it's been there from the beginning. And um, I met Ben Percy over 15 years ago. Um, we were at a writing conference and I, I ultimately read a short story of his called Refresh, Refresh, which is <clears throat> about sort of young men, teenagers and violence um, in the high desert of Oregon. Um, it had been in the Paris Review and then I adapted it as a script at the Sundance Screenwriters Lab and then an amazing graphic novelist named Danica Novgordov ultimately adapted that script into a graphic novel um, before I could make a movie. I never made the movie. Um, and her beautiful graphic novel was ultimately selected for Best American Comics back in 2011 by Alison Bechtel, um, which was very cool. But a roundabout way of saying Ben and I, I think as we've both had children, I think have... Um, become even more focused on exploring um, um, structural violence and family dynamics um, through the lens of, of young people for a long time. And specifically with Summering, it started a few years ago when um, there was a man found dead not far from my home. Um, and he was not, he was an older man. He couldn't be identified. They still have never identified him. And um, that to me, to not even receive the the dignity of being named upon death felt like a signifier of um, something larger that was broken in our social safety net. And um, I began talking to my family um, and friends and my children about a lot of the issues, the sort of structural issues involved with that, with um, equity, um, lack of resources, how someone would become unhoused, what our personal responsibility is, toxic masculinity, all, all of these roundabout things that sort of began to become a story. And Ben and I began that conversation and he was um, having his own conversations with his own daughter, who's 12 years old, um, about a lack of female characters um, and female agency in a lot of the stories that she was seeking out and in the world that Ben works in a lot because he writes a lot of comic books and um, lack of female characters there. So that's how it all sort of, started. <laughs> no, I really Long love, answer, sorry. <laughs> I really love all of those details. And, and in talking specifically about the dynamic of these, these characters as well with the young girls in the film, 
you know, it's, it's such an interesting age to approach as well, because kids can be so different and they grow and mature in very different ways at very different stages, particularly around that age. Yes. And so what were some of the, the nuances that you wanted to bring into those characters that kind of reflected that, particularly in how they then start to deal with and respond to the idea of, of trauma and certain things in the world? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, that, that specific age, 11, 12 years old, between elementary and middle school was obviously a specific choice. I think it's, you know, kids do develop, as you said, sort of on a spectrum and um, you know, and some kids at 11 years old can still present, at least externally, as fairly innocent or, or live much in their imaginations and use their imaginations to do things like process trauma, whereas they might have friends in their peer group who would present as cynical and world wary. Maybe they've personally experienced um, death firsthand. Maybe they've had families that have sort of the family unit has sort of broken down in some way through divorce and separation. And they have sort of, you know, um, those different experiences that they bring to the table. And, you know, it's right around the corner is adolescence. And then at that point, it's essentially cosplay for adulthood <laughs> where world wariness and cynicism are sort of all, all pervasive. Um, you know, but I think I was really interested in, in, in a story that was centered around a, um, a group of friends, in this case, female friends, um, that was not about one of them doing wrong to the other, not about quote unquote mean girls, not about a trauma or victimization done to them, but about the way four friends who are afraid of change, afraid of losing their friendship because they are able to articulate um, things emotionally that I was not able to when I was an 11 or 12 year old boy. Like my, my friends and I, in large part, we would talk about our feelings for each other through maybe the other third thing, like being, let's talk about movies or music or sports or something, but not talk about what we're actually feeling, which is essentially what a lot of men grow into as well. Super repressed people who can't articulate the value of their friendships. So these are four friends who are at a moment where they're afraid of losing each other. Um, they're afraid of change and then, and then death presents itself and, and they make choices and go about things in a way that I really wanted to be, anchored in the subjectivity of of their experience and not through the lens of the way a middle-aged person would rationalize those things. And you're also bringing up there the idea that that for these four friends, the idea of what if we're not friends in the future? What if our friendship falls apart is such a monumental part of their world. And, and at moments, even bigger than the idea of we found a dead body, what do we do? Because emotionally, that's what they're so connected to. And so how did you create that balance of thinking about what are the things that are really important to them? Because that's very different from what it looks like for adults. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, for I think a lot of um, adults and maybe male adults that it seems, you know, we look at the world, can look at the world through, and I'm totally generalizing now, um, but um, can look at the world through a coldly rational um, lens. Um, and I think, some some of sometimes we forget the way especially those that a lot there's a lot of distance between their childhood and where they are now again a lot of, of this i bring to the what i bring to the table is the fact that i'm living in a world of kids with these conversations with my kids now and the way that they process the first time a pet dies or a grandparent dies or a friend moves away or a, a grandparent or someone who's close to them has a long sickness or there is a global health crisis <laughs> where bad breathing the wrong air might kill your parents, you know, which seems sounds like the stuff of speculative fiction, but is is real and anchored in that. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted, you know, the sort of the way that the kids approach things to have the rhythms. And in fact, 
embrace the genre conceits of what life can feel like that age, which can feel like as you're going into middle school, it can feel like a horror film. Losing your friends can feel like a horror film. Um, the fear of losing your best friend, if you're in a tight friend group of that age, can feel more real and palpable than the abstract fear of death, which feels like it's so far away. Um, perhaps it can, not for all kids. And you've also constructed this story in a way that the 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 parents, like we see their mothers and they're not just periphery characters that are concerned when their kids don't come home. We really get to see the individual dynamic of what each of those relationships look like. How close are they? You know, what are, what are the things that they've picked up as attributes from their parents and the things that they've seen in that world as well? Um, and so what was most important to you to bring to the foreground in terms of making sure that we had this really unique identity, not just in the four girls, but in these families family dynamics coming forward in the screen as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think endless, I mean, on a, on a personal level, I think my wife was raised by a single mother who she's incredibly close with, and I'm incredibly close with my mother, as is my sister, who I'm close with, who my mother and sister inform much of like the film and, you know, books and music that I, that I really love. And, you know, I, I think oftentimes stories related to um, a crime you know, I'm thinking of like classic film noir involves a quote unquote dead girl. I mean, characters reference this. There's a crime shows playing on in the background. There is a quote unquote dead girl and men chiefly are, are charged with either saving someone or figuring out what happened or avenging their death. But really it being all about the male experience and them under their own relationship with their father or mother. Nothing that is centered, you know, on the subjectivity of a female experience and and with with um fully realized characters that are you know that that wants to dignify and explore um subjectively their emotional inner lives as characters who are 11 you know who um who really use their imagination um who really um you know there's abstract fears and and, and anxieties and for some of them they're real real ones like where is my dad you know, will like will my parents ever get back together? Um, and that collision of experience and imagination and tones um, was something that I really wanted to try to try to embrace because um, I think that's I think the way that kids process experiences at that age. And there's there's also moments that you know it's not about them processing what that they found this body and trying to figure it out, but just these these little moments of just everyday life for what it means to be that age, particularly for a group of girls. So even just the opening of the film where we see them kind of running through the grass and through the water, and there's a moment where we see them all just dancing together in a bedroom, and those very simple moments just build a richness of the tapestry of of their lives and their worldviews. And so was that again something that that came a lot from looking at your own kids and the way that they just interact with each other and the way that those moments are such a commonplace thing throughout the day for kids at that sort of age. Yeah, I mean, you know, the opening sequence you described sort of, you know, it begins with um, female characters in a, in a shower um, as someone is coming from the shadows from behind a shower curtain, which is part of an iconography of films going back to Psycho and even before of, of you know, passive female characters that are you know, with with an active, aggressive, victimizing male character. And then the film aims to throw that on its head. The shower curtain is revealed. It's a friend. And as you said, they burst out of the house, cartwheeling through people's yards. And it's centered on these characters' experience and their imaginations um, and what they're afraid of. And what they're afraid of is change at this point. You know, it is the end of summer. Middle school will begin. They will be saying in some ways goodbye to each other. And change and death um, in stories have a way of 
colliding and becoming something else in, in, in people's imaginations and certainly in young people's imaginations. And with the fact you're talking about imagination there, it's not just the imagination of the characters themselves, but also what the actors could bring in that regard when you were casting, particularly the young performers and, and going through that process. And I know you worked with um, A.V. Kaufman, who's yeah. who's amazing at casting kids and really just kind of seeing something. And in that process of, of not just having them come in and read a scene from a, from the script, but really getting a sense of their imagination, what were some of the exercises or workshop elements to that audition process to really find these, these young performers where they just had an imagination that would light you up? Yeah, I mean, A.V., you know, I've worked with her since my very first film that had um, it was Nick Nolte and then two and some kids. Um, and and I met her actually when I was still like doing theater as an actor. And so I've met known her throughout my sort of um, creative life. And she is, as you said, she's so remarkable at sort of um, putting together an ensemble of people that are both surprising yet feel organic to each other and at discovering or advocating at least for younger actors. Um, and you know, every film that I've made with her feels deeply personal. I mean, a lot of our conversations early on just had to do, just like with all of my collaborators on it, the actors and um, uh, the department heads, most of whom in the case of this film were female, like them talking about their experiences and their friends when they were 11 and 12 year olds. And in some cases, them talking about their relationships with their children and what they, and kind of reverse engineering, sort of remembering their own childhoods and realizing that they're projecting their childhoods or what they think a childhood should be on their kids realizing that they're unreliable narrators in that um but once we you know we as av and i and my uh, producing partner jen dana were casting it you know we were bringing tons of kids in um to it was zoom because it was co during covid um so it was um you know av and her team were reading people i was meeting them we were Honestly, I was just asking them questions and listening and, you know, it's sort of just like I did with Spectacular Now, which was kids a little bit older, but who are the people that you find have the most vibrant imaginations? Who are the most surprising? Who are the people that you think will grow to be the most interesting adults, um, whether or not they become famous adults, you know, like irrelevant of that? Who do you just find fascinating? And then it was sort of putting the, the actors together sort of in Zoom groups to sort of have them go through improvisations and just talk and just for me it was trying to find four people that you could imagine would be friends but these are at that age you're friends with the kids that you happen to be at your school you kind of choose your you do choose your friend group but a lot of it's just geographic proximity and when you're 11 or 12 you just happen to be zoned to live near each other and find the kids that maybe it's just your neighbor and the truth is you might not be friends with them past elementary school, but I was interested in, you know, the different musicality of the way that they spoke and thought. And they were, I mean, these four actors are amazing. They're smart, brilliant, politically astute, um, like hypercritical <laughs> of, of, of the things that they find to be kind of BS in the world. Like um, that um, it, it, there's a sophistication, I think that I found really remarkable. And I invited them to put their fingerprints all over the characters just like with the actors who played um their, their mothers um and i was grateful for those collaborations and when it came to either rehearsing scenes beforehand or right before you'd go into filming a scene with them as well um what what was kind of your approach to it was it talking about the specifics of the scene or was it also similarly exercises to bring out certain things in the foreground with them yeah, it was, you know, I mean, I've, I've made things before that involve characters that like are strangers to each other, like end of the tour with Jason and Jesse, they didn't know each other. And I didn't, 
the characters didn't know each other. I didn't want them to become friends. With Smash, Mary, and Aaron were supposed to have been married for almost a decade. I wanted them to spend lots of time together, and I helped engender that in some ways. Um, in this case, these are characters who, even if, if even if they've only known each other for five years, that's like almost half their lot, the characters' lives. So I wanted them to just spend, even if it was on Zoom, as much time as possible. Then when we got to the location, which was in Utah. Um, they were all staying in the same hotel and their parents were there and it felt like a family affair because a lot of people brought families there, including me, my kids were there. They were just spending time together, like laughing, creating secrets, things that I knew nothing about, um, creating their own internal rhythms and logic. And then I wanted them to spend time with each, each of them to spend time with the actors who would play their mo mothers as well. Um, just, just, um, to create bonds as, as quickly as possible and to unpack the scenes and talk about the scenes and, and to shift the scenes in ways that felt more true to them. Um, I mean, really, for me, it was active listening with everybody. And at, at this, at, even at development, it was sharing the idea and the script with everybody I could, especially female friends of mine who were invited to both share of themselves and prosecute <laughs> aspects of the script in a way that just like, what was that like for you? What do you think it would be like for your kids, et cetera, et cetera? And with with the fact that the the centralization of the story is these four young characters, how did that influence a lot of the visual language and the styling of the film in terms of the camera work? Because it's even something where the camera sits a little bit lower to have them in frame than it would otherwise. And the way that we're seeing things that they see kind of comes from that that slightly different angle and perspective as well. Yeah. I mean, Greta Zazula, um, who was um, a wonderful cinematographer um, who filmed this, I mean, she, my collaboration with her was just so central to it. We were talking about the film over, over a year before we filmed it. And she was on the East Coast, I was on the West Coast, but we would plan, you know, on Sunday afternoons to just get on Zoom or on the phone for hours and just share photographs that we like, share films, talk about scenes, we had initially intended to sort of shot list, maybe even storyboard every aspect of the film, but very quickly we realized what was more important was to talk about a value system, um, that this needed to be um, grounded and anchored in the subjectivity of these characters' experience. And I think we all benefit when there are multiple subjectivities in a story, but this, the subjectivity of these characters as 11 and 12 year olds is different than mine or than yours or anybody else's. And that we wanted them, the film to feel like the camera to feel like it was a fifth character in the film and experiencing it from their perspective um, with a level of identification and no judgment, no sexualization, but also no idealization, you know, like something that felt honest and true. And Greta um, was such a partner in that. And, um, you know, I th think we wanted the way we talked about it was that this film should feel like a childhood now, but also a memory of a childhood, maybe a dream of a childhood, maybe a nightmare of a childhood. Like it's the end of summer and there's that bright warmth, but we didn't want it to feel sentimental. And there are dark shadows around the edge of it because there's a fear of the future and of change of an anxiety and death, you know, all, all of those things sort of creeping around. Um, so we wanted it rooted in that way. Um, and, and to dignify their experiences. We didn't want it to feel like a shake, faux documentary we wanted it to feel like a lot of the moments were snapshots of of a of a childhood you know of, of a memory maybe and with that idea that the camera is giving us their perspective on things um how did that inform the choices that you made in the scene where they do discover and see this body because again it feels like the way that we're looking at that is the way that they're processing and understanding and, and navigating it yeah i mean we you know, because because imagination is a tool sort of that we use to process 
trauma. And because it's from the perspective of kids, I, I, um, you know, a lot of what we're experiencing isn't always necessarily intended to be 100% reliable. It's not a police procedural with middle-aged police officers, you know? So um, I, I think that fundamental unreliability and the inability to totally process what's happening and what's going on, certainly not in the hyper rational way that we believe as adults that we would obviously do X, Y, Z, because that's what people do. Um, I, I, I think we wanted it to feel a little fragmented in both in the way that it's edited and the way that it's filmed and the way that it's, it, there's an unrealness to it, to, to them, you know, um, there's, I, I think we wanted, you know, to give snippets of what it might feel like, but mostly we were much more interested um, in what, their experience and the emotion on their faces and in their consciousness as they're trying to process it afterwards. Like, what do we do? What is the right thing? Should we do this? If we do this, does it matter if he was a good person? Does any of this matter? All of those questions. Um, um, I wanted to sort of un be unpacked over the course of the film and through, through them, through their subjectivity. And you're also, you're also bringing up before, the idea of light and shadow but but it also comes into play in the idea of the fact that it is reflective of like a dream and and potentially a memory to some degree the color palette and and that styling of the film and so what were what was the usage of color that felt important to you in that regard yeah i mean we you know we wanted it to be a you know widescreen film that um i think greta and i both are fans of things that the idea of creative fingerprints being on something. So I think a lot of us like, uh, or the two of us really like older lenses that might have aberrations that feel like it's not perfectly kept. It's not as, you know, crystal clear as what you would get on your iPhone, for instance, um, with those little flaws that I think reflect our humanity we really wanted. And we wanted, you know, there is that feeling at the end of summer um, that is both sun saturated and a little sunburned and a little dried out. You know, it's both beautiful, but if you look closely, you realize that the grass might be dead. Um, <laughs> and um, I think that's what we wanted. We did want that vibrancy, but I think there's also a lot of easy, low-hanging fruit cliches that you can have of stories that, that deal with memory or sentiment where everything just feels perfectly sun-kissed, you know? Um, and I think there was a, a slight banality and a slight um, occasional ugliness you know, to, to locations that were chosen to, 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 to a darkness around the edges, to things that were imperfect that we really wanted, wanted to embrace because it's what they're beginning to feel. Yeah. And there's, there's also spaces in the film where there's, there's references to other things that give us immediate emotional connotations. So like a reference to Bridge to Terabithia immediately kind of brings us into the idea of the tone of this story and th that idea of like childhood breaking and dealing with very adult themes. And so how did you want to really utilize the way that you can reference something that automatically creates an, a certain emotional response for the audience? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, I mean, the hope was that, you know, that, that it's a film that can contain characters who would be reading a book like that. Like that, that's a book that they probably read in fifth grade, you know, that their teacher had them read, um, if not then, or that they inherited from an older sibling. But it's also a world where there is a crime show playing or a version of it playing in the background of their life all the time. And those, and the saturation of iconography and imagery and and the way that, that um kids are supposed to behave and men and women might interact as they are shown in movies and TV, all these things 
are things that are suffused into the consciousness of these characters inevitably, um, whether or not it's front of mind, um, it's inherited and it's 24 seven. Um, so it affects the way that they make choices, the way that they decide whether to quote unquote do right or do wrong, whether they, who they trust, who they look to, to help them, um, who they're not looking to, to help them or quote unquote, save them. You know, there's a real sense of self-reliance, I think, in these kids, because I think there's, again, like kids, like a lot of the kids that I know, including my own, they can seem at times very innocent. I mean, and the first time a kid has a parent or, or a grandparent die or a pet die or a friend move, like those are always traumatic traumatic things to kids it doesn't matter whether you're living in the age of the internet or pre-internet the way that we communicate with each other like the way like think things do shift um but there's certain things that are universal and certain things that are hyper affected by the when and the how you live um but i it would have been a radically different film if we were catching up with these characters even like two years later um inevitably and certainly if they were, you know, in mid high school, if they were 16 or 17, the way that they would approach things and interact would be very, very different. Um, but it would be a different film. And when you were editing the film, um, how did you kind of find the different spaces of pacing for the story? Because, you know, if something has scared them and the characters' hearts would be racing, we kind of feel that tension and, and things move a little bit faster in, on screen for us as the audience. And then there's moments where you also just allow for the gentleness of the moment and just allowing us to sit with the characters at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I the film, I mean, it is, you know, an ensemble where we're anchored with multiple characters and the way that they're some of them have experienced more in their relatively short lives than others and have context to put things and, and deal with, you know, some are much more dealing with their own personal anxiety that predates anything that's happened in the film. That's very real to them. Some are that's like internal and internal struggle. Some of them are dealing with external things, but that are specific to the structure of their family that they've internalized and have guilt for. Some of them, you know, have had, what seems like a relatively quote unquote easy life to this point. Um, and this might affect them in a different way. And I, I think, you know, I think questions of, of guilt and complicity and what our duty is to each other as friends, as families, as senses, as a community um, are things that, that the characters are talking about, that they're kind of trying to figure out and, and, and wrestle with and whether or not they talk about it or think about it in a way that maybe adults would, I don't, I don't think they should. And I don't, I think that would be weird. I, I, I like, um, I like listening to the experiences of other people and other characters who just approach the world in a slightly different way than I do, even if it's for any number of reasons, in some cases, just because they're younger in some cases, because they're just more skeptical of certain things. And in the experience of making this film, you had production kind of getting ready, gearing up, being in pre-production and then having everything shut down because of the pandemic. And given that you then ended up having a little bit more time to sit with the film, were there certain creative choices or aspects of the film that that allowed you just a little bit more time to, to sit with and feel more certain about or to finesse and change a little bit before you ended up going into production finally? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we... I mean, what it gave, I mean, it was frustrating, but it was also, um, you know, safe for, for me, like when I'm on set, um, like I always feel like my number one goal is to create a safe space for my collaborators and the actors to be 
vulnerable to take chances, you know, and if they don't feel physically safe or emotionally safe or any kind of safe, no one is going to get in front of a camera and reveal themselves, um, you know what I mean? Emotionally um, and really take chances. Um, and so, um, you know, it was, I mean, making a film during COVID, I think um, presented both a lot of hurdles. Um, it also presented opportunities, I think, for people to have a sense of gratitude for making things and to articulate and put a spotlight on questions related to equity, safety, working hours, family, like work family balance that I think people on cruise have been thinking and feeling for a long time, but we've had to really address. Um, and then, you know, from a story perspective, I think just more the actors, the crew that was involved, it had more time to read it. There was more time to hear other people's thoughts, like for more people to reflect on what's important to them as parents, as uh, what their experiences were as kids. Um, and then, you know, with creative collaborators like Greta, you know, my cinematographer, um, more time to just talk about the language of the film and like what was important and how we were going to make a, a film, you know, with where young people are in it almost the entirety of the film that is inherently a smaller, you know, film and to make it with elegance with um, not a lot of time, you know? Um, so how to make choices that would, um, given the like financial restraints, how to, how to make something that was intentional. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all of these details from, from the creation of this film and congratulations on everything with the movie. And thank you so much, James. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Take care.